Good morning. Welcome everyone here today. I thought this morning we're going to talk a little bit about uh, laws, in particular the Old Testament laws. If you're familiar with reading through the Old Testament, you will find that in the first five books in particular, there are lots and lots of them. Uh, the rabbis over the centuries took the time to figure this out. They counted all the laws, and there were lots of duplicates, so they factored that in. And they came to the conclusion that God has given us 613 laws. So you thought there were only 10 commandments? No, that, that, there's another 603 after that. And, um, you know, we as Christians, of course, don't tend to follow a lot of those. There's good reasons for that. It's not just, uh, we haven't gotten rid of all of them, and it's not just picking and choosing. There are good reasons for it. Uh, but I know that when most of us go to reading through our Bibles, if we start in the Old Testament, we'll start in Genesis and we'll get to the, 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 you know, you start out with the creation story and then you've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then it ends in Egypt and it's real easy to read and follow along and then you get to, and then, and then you get to start getting into these laws. And we're reading this, you know, this is how you sacrifice a bull, and if you don't have a bull, use this one. And the priests can wear this kind of fabric, and you can eat this, but not this, and you can touch this, but not this. And so pretty soon our eyes start going, huh, uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and so we go, ah, forget this, and then we, keep, we flip through. And a lot of these laws, I get, we don't see them as particularly relevant. And, um, you know, it, we don't sacrifice animals, so the sacrifice laws, for example, we don't have. But, you know me, I still think that there's a lot of wisdom in these Old Testament laws, and they're worth taking a look at to see, uh, what is that wisdom? What is it trying to say? In one of these cases, one of the laws that I think is really cool is the year of the Jubilee. That's a law that you are to take a year of Jubilee. I think it's one of the coolest ones in Leviticus. It's not one you ever hear quoted by people who quote passages in Leviticus. Uh, that's because I think the year of Jubilee runs so absolutely counter to the way our society functions and our economy and even how we function as people in our family lives. It's so alien to us that I think most of us would probably rather follow a food law and try to even follow all the food laws would be easier than following a year of Jubilee. And so, what is it? What is the year of Jubilee exactly? Well, it's a law that says you have to stop farming every seven years. And not uh, livestock. You can keep livestock farming. This has to do with tilling the land and pruning vines. So, let's read Leviticus. 25, Leviticus 25. The Lord says, so the Lord's speaking to Moses. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. So this is, this is a version of the Sabbath law that's in the Bible. 
The Sabbath, you know, it starts with the creation story, right? God creates the world in six metaphorical days, and on the seventh day, God rested. And so, therefore, God gives a command that we are to work six days, and on the seventh day, we rest. Well, the Jubilee Law takes it up a notch takes it up to seven years. So we are to prune our vineyards and till our fields for six years. And on the seventh year, leave it right where it is. Don't prune or till, just leave the ground. It's, it's even so specific, they don't even want you going in and getting like the, the extras that kind of pop up spontaneously next year. You can't even get those. You have to leave it be completely. Now, from an environmental standpoint, this is actually a really good law because, you know, farming, farming takes soil, right? And soil is not just dirt. You know, in Arizona, we farm dirt, you know, rocks and sand, and we just pour water on it. That works with some things. A lot of things you want to farm, though, they do way better or they have to have soil. And soil is not just rocks, it's a whole living ecosystem. And there's bacteria and microorganisms and decaying stuff and fungi and millipedes. And it's a whole living, breathing thing where all the leaves and the plants and the manure and everything that falls onto the ground, it gets chewed up. And all those microorganisms and insects and little bugs, you know, when they die and the waste they put out, it all turns into this really rich stuff called soil. And it takes time, though, for all those microorganisms to do all that chewing and digesting and eating and decomposing, etc., to make soil soil. It doesn't just instantly happen. And when you farm it, every time you set it out and you farm it, you take a little bit of those nutrients out and a little bit of those microorganisms every time you till the dirt, every time you start over. And so, what, what the, and so what they're saying here in, in the Bible is to take one year, every seventh year, just take that one year off and let it go. Don't farm that particular year. Now, did the ancient Jewish people understand microbes and bacteria and fungi and nitrogen? No, of course not. They, did, they, didn't, they didn't know it down to that level. But what they did know is what worked and what didn't. And they knew that if you just kept farming a field over and over and over, generation after generation, eventually the soil starts to disappear. And they knew that if you gave it a rest from time to time, that would give time for all those bacteria, all those microorganisms to come back again and replenish it. And so, if you, even in America, you go to places out east, there are farms that they've been tilling since the 1600s, 1700s. And if you look at the dirt, you look at the soil, it looks more like Arizona dirt. Because it's never been given a rest in 400 years. And so the way they farm it, even though it rains all the time, is to just keep dumping manure and dumping fertilizer on there to try to artificially keep it going because they can't afford economically to shut down the farm and let the soil return. And so this got built into the law. This got built into God's law. It's actually in the Bible that every seventh year you let the land go. And how can you afford that? 
Well, you save up the other six years. So you just constantly keep saving and saving and saving those previous years until you get to that seventh year. Now, I get that this is a lot easier to say than to do, right? Not every farm makes so much money that you can put one-sixth of your profits from that year and just stash it away so that every seventh year you take a one-year-long vacation. I mean, you still got to milk your aunt, your cows, and, and take care of your livestock, but that to give your soil a one-year vacation off. A lot of farmers, even then, were much more subsistence, or they didn't have those kind of profit margins. But in the big picture, in the big picture, we, we a country, we a world, we produce more than enough food for everyone to have food. And we produce more than enough for farms on a rotating basis to take a year off every seven years. It would mean that some farms that are very large and that make lots of profits would be saving up their extras to help subsidize others taking a full year vacation every seven years. And of course, this is where you get to why this is so unpopular today. Why, it's so, it would be almost unthinkable if you tried to propose it. Because you know somebody, you know, who's got a big farm or somebody who's got lots of means, it's gonna go, wait, I'm just supposed to sit here and save up and put tons of my profits away so that they can just take a full year vacation every seventh year? Well, yeah, if you read the Bible, that's what it says. So you can see why it goes over like a ton of bricks. You know, in America, we really don't like the idea of people getting a full year paid vacation. You know, there, there, there's always sort of, we tend to have a very uh, a deep suspicion about people trying to take advantage or getting an extra break. Uh, it's a little different than in Europe. So I could imagine if you told people, yeah, we're just gonna save up and you know, every seventh year, we're just gonna shut everything down. We're all just gonna live off the profits we made the last six years. Uh, yeah, that would be go over like a ton of bricks. It would be like a ton of bricks. And so, which is why, okay, so we go back to the Bible and we say, okay, do I get a sense that God is terribly worried about people being lazy every seventh year? And the answer is no. God's not only not concerned about it, but he mandates it. God mandates laziness every seventh day, and he mandates a certain laziness every seven years. And if you take the Jubilee, even the rest of this passage, it then says that every 50th year, you forgive all the debts. So it's kind of hard, God's got it baked into the system. Periodic laziness is God's law. Now, let's look at this as being a little bit more than just farm policy. And I think that's a lot of what God is saying here. This is more than just farm policy. The idea of taking a periodic rest, of stopping and replenishing and taking time to refill yourself, it's hard in a world where we're being pushed relentlessly to produce. And I think that in some ways, we can be a little bit like soil. 
if we never stop. If we just go, go, go full blast year after year, we know what it does to us. You know, in a worst case scenario, you could end up with lots of money from all your work, but no hobbies and your family left you because you didn't, were never around to see them, and then your health decays, and then you retire with lots of money and spend all your money trying to pay off your, your health care bills because you ruined your health with all your extra work. Is that a cliche? A little bit. But we know that could happen. There's something about saying that you can't give to others what you don't have in yourself. You can't give good listening to others if you can't stop thinking about your own problems. You can't give time to others if you're too busy. You can't give energy to your kids when you're exhausted. You can't come up with new ideas or vision for your life when all it is is a grind to just push through harder and harder. You can't be hopeful if you can't see, spend any time to think about the future. Without taking time to rest and replenish ourselves, we can become like soil that gets depleted. And we can end up with nothing to give others. And in a sense, isn't that kind of what a relationship is? It's a give and take. We give and they give and it's back and forth. And it's kind of a waste of time a lot of times. It isn't very efficient or productive. This is God's Sabbath. This is what God demands. And God's Sabbath, and by extension the Jubilee, is God's way of doing a couple things. First, it's to protect us from ourselves and our own need to constantly keep working to produce and produce and produce. To be more and more unsuccessful and more and more rich and more and more whatever. Um, second, it, the Sabbath law and the Sabbath laws, they exist to protect people at the bottom of the social ladder who don't have the power to negotiate time off. I don't know, maybe a lot of us don't remember the days when there was a time when it was not assumed that you would get one or two days off in a week. I remember miners talking in a hometown where they would go seven days a week sometimes. That was normal. Everybody did it. But by God's law, you have to take time off. If you structure everything by this law of the Sabbath, the Sabbath law protects those at the bottom who don't have the means to come up to the boss and say, boss, I need, I need at least a full day off every week or else. Because many people can come up to the boss and say that, and the boss will say, okay, I'll find someone else. And that's the end of the story. With a Sabbath law, the boss has no choice. It protects those who don't have that negotiating power. Um, what else does it do? The, sa the, the Jubilee, every seven years, protects the farmer who would be pushed by the banker and the wholesaler and the distributor and the futures exchange commodities manager 
to keep selling every single year, year after year after year, even if it leads to soil depletion. Because the guy at the bank and the commodities exchange is not thinking about the long-term future of your family farm. He's looking out for short-term profits. And if your family farm ends up going bankrupt eventually because the soil's dead, he'll just move on and trade something else. That's not a big loss to him. Requiring a jubilee forces the finance people to back off and gives the family farmer the cover to let his land rest so the land isn't dead for the next generation. And it allows the family itself to recuperate. You know, farm, farming is hard work, and without machines, especially in biblical times, if you were farming Israel with your own hand plow or even with oxen, it was back-breaking hard work. And giving the farmer a year off wasn't really fostering laziness or codependency. It was hard-earned time off and would help the farmer's back recover. So what about a jubilee for yourself? You know, most of us are not farmers anymore, uh, and we don't plow with oxen and all that. We have jobs, mostly where somebody pays us to work. And we have set hours, and we do what we have to do. But we can be aware of ourselves and try to be conscious of how much we're working and if we're really taking time off. Are we really taking that Sabbath? Are we taking short-term Sabbaths and long-term Sabbaths? And you can ask yourself questions like, am I doing lots of, I just have a couple things to do on my day off kind of things? You know that extra email you just gotta check or that extra meeting you gotta make sure of. Is the boss pushing me to do lots of unpaid overtime suggested things that aren't required, but I know the boss is going to bring them up at promotion time? Uh, for example, uh, someone was telling me uh, he had to get a new job because part of his job, there was a sales component to it, and to really build up the clientele, he would have to basically forget about his, his young family and spend all his nights down at the bar entertaining clients. So he'd work all day long, then spend all night drinking with clients to try to build that rapport and so that he could keep those deals coming. And he said the really successful ones did that. And he said, I had to go somewhere else. I couldn't do it. It wasn't paid. In fact, it cost money but it was kind of necessary? Ask yourself, are they giving me lots of work deadlines that are simply undoable with a Sabbath rest? You know, am, 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 I, am I even realizing that I'm spending my days off answering emails? You know, put the email on the phone, boy, you're never away from it. And you may not even realize it. Am I missing out on life today because I'm so busy trying to make money for later. You know, I'm not going to find out unless I give myself a Sabbath each week and a Jubilee from time to time. It could be that I've not spent time replenishing myself and so I'm getting irritable or short or unhappy 
or I've got that kind of chronic stress that you maybe don't feel right away, but the second you stop moving, you collapse and you realize, man, I've really been miserable for a while. But to notice that, you have to either collapse or take time off. So give yourself a jubilee. If you're a boss, give your employees a jubilee. It's not laziness. It's hard-earned time to replenish ourselves, and it's God's way. It's God's way. Amen.